Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 2, Part 5 of Castle Rackrent by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. At this, Judy takes up the corner of her apron and puts it first to one eye and then to t'other, being to all appearance in great trouble. And my sister put in her word and bid his honour have a good heart, for she was sure it was only the gout that Sir Patrick used to have flying about him and he ought to drink a glass or a bottle extraordinary to keep it out of his stomach and he promised to take her advice and sent out for more spirits immediately and judy made a sign to me and i went over to the door to her and she said i wonder to see sir condy so low has he heard the news what news says i didn't you hear it then says she my lady rackrent that was is kilt and lying for dead and i don't doubt but it's all over with her by this time see glossary twenty nine mercy on us all says i how was it the jaunting car it was that ran away with her says judy i was coming home that same time from biddy mcguggins marriage and a great crowd of people too upon the road coming from the fair at crook and I sees a jaunting car standing in the middle of the road, and with the two wheels off and all tattered. What's this? says I. Didn't ye hear of it? says they that were looking on. It's my lady Rackrent's car that was running away from her husband, and the horse took fright at a carrion that lay across the road, and so ran away with the jaunting car, and my lady Rackrent and her maid screaming, and the horse ran with them against a car that was coming from the fair with the boy asleep on it, and the lady's petticoat hanging out of the jaunting car caught, and she was dragged, I can't tell you how far upon the road, and it all broken up with the stones just going to be pounded. And one of the roadmakers, with his sledgehammer in his hand, stops the horse at the last, but my lady Rackrent was all kilt and smashed, and they lifted her into a cabin hard by, and the maid was found after where she had been thrown in the gripe of a ditch, her cap and bonnet all full of bog-water, and they say, my lady can't live anyway. Footnote. Kilt and smashed. Our author is not here guilty of an anticlimax. The mere English reader, from a similarity of sound between the words kilt and killed, might be induced to suppose that their meanings are similar, 
yet they are not by any means in Ireland synonymous terms. Thus you may hear a man exclaim, I am kilt and murdered, but he frequently means only that he has received a black eye or a slight contusion. I'm kilt all over means that he is in a worse state than being simply kilt. Thus, I'm kilt with the cold is nothing to I'm kilt all over with the rheumatism. End of footnote. Thady, pray now, is it true what I'm told for certain? That Sir Condy has made all over to your son Jason? All, says I. All entirely, says she again. All entirely, says I. Then, says she, that's a great shame. But don't be telling Jason what I say. And what is it you say, cries Sir Condy, leaning over betwixt us, which made Judy start greatly. I know the time when Judy McQuirk would never have stayed so long talking at the door, and I in the house. Oh, says Judy, for shame, Sir Condy, times are altered since then, and it's my Lady Rackrent you ought to be thinking of. And why should I be thinking of her that's not thinking of me now, says Sir Condy. No matter for that, says Judy very properly. It's time you should be thinking of her, if ever you meant to do it at all. For don't you know she's lying for death? My Lady Rackrent, says Sir Condy in a surprise, why, it's but two days since we parted, as you very well know, Thady, in her full health and spirits, and she and her maid along with her going to Mount Juliet's town on her jaunting car. She'll never ride no more on her jaunting car, says Judy, for it has been the death of her, sure enough. And is she dead then, says his honour? As good as dead, I hear, says Judy. But there's Thady here, as just learnt the whole truth of the story as I had it. And it's fitter he, or anybody else, should be telling it to you than I, Sir Condy. I must be going home to the children but he stops her, but rather from civility in him, as I could see very plainly, than anything else. For Judy was, as his honour remarked at her first coming in, greatly changed, and little likely, as far as I could see, though she did not seem to be clear of it herself, little likely to be my Lady Rackrent now, should there be a second toss-up to be made. But I told him the whole story out of the face, just as Judy had told it to me, and he sent off a messenger with his compliments to Mount Juliet's town that evening, to learn the truth of the report. And Judy bid the boy that was going to call in at Tim McInerney's shop in O'Shochlin town, and buy her a new shawl. Do so, said Sir Condy, and tell Tim to take no money from you, for I must pay him for the shawl myself. At this my sister throws me over a look, and I says nothing, but turned the tobacco in my mouth, whilst Judy began making a many words about it, and saying how she could not be beholden for shawls to any gentleman. I left her there to consult with my sister, did she think there was anything in it, and my sister thought I was blind to be asking her the question, and I thought my sister must see more into it than I did and recollecting all past times and everything, 
I changed my mind and came over to her way of thinking, and we settled it that Judy was very like to be my Lady Rackrent after all, if a vacancy should have happened. The next day, before his honour was up, somebody comes with a double knock at the door, and I was greatly surprised to see it was my son Jason. Jason, is it you? said I. What brings you to the lodge? says I. Is it my Lady Rackrent? We know that already since yesterday. Maybe so, says he, but I must see Sir Condy about it. You can't see him yet, says I. Sure, he's not awake. What then, says he, can't he be wakened, and I standing at the door? I'll not be disturbing his honour for you, Jason, says I. Many's the hour you've waited in your time, and been proud to do it, till his honour was at leisure to speak to you. His honour, says I, raising my voice, at which his honour wakens of his own accord, and calls to me from the room to know who it was I was speaking to. Jason made no more ceremony, but follows me into the room. How are you, Sir Condy? says he. I'm happy to see you looking so well. I came up to know how you did to-day, and to see did you want for anything at the lodge. Nothing at all, Mr. Jason, I thank you, says he, for his honour has his own share of pride, and did not choose, after all that had passed, to be beholden, I suppose, to my son. But pray take a chair, and be seated, Mr. Jason. Jason sat him down upon the chest, for chair there was none and after he had sat there some time, and a silence on all sides. "'What news is there stirring in the country, Mr. Jason McQuirk?' says Sir Condy, very easy, yet high-like. "'None that's news to you, Sir Condy, I hear,' says Jason. "'I am sorry to hear of my Lady Rackrent's accident.' "'I'm much obliged to you, and so is her ladyship, I'm sure,' answered Sir Condy, still stiff and there was another sort of silence, which seemed to lie the heaviest on my son Jason. Sir Condy, says he at last, seeing Sir Condy disposing himself to go to sleep again, Sir Condy, I dare say you recollect mentioning to me the little memorandum you gave to Lady Rackrent about the five hundred pounds a year jointure. Very true, said Sir Condy, it is all in my recollection. But if my Lady Rackrent dies, there's an end of all jointure, says Jason. Of course, says Sir Condy. But it's not a matter of certainty that my Lady Rackrent won't recover, says Jason. Very true, says my master. It's a fair speculation, then, for you to consider what the chance of the jointure of those lands, when out of custodium, will be to you. Just five hundred a year, I take it, without any speculation at all, said Sir Condy. That's supposing the life dropped, and the custodium off, you know. Begging your pardon, Sir Condy. Who understands business, that is a wrong calculation. Very likely so, said Sir Condy. But, Mr. Jason, if you have anything to say to me this morning about it, I'd be obliged to you to say it for I had an indifferent night's rest last night, and wouldn't be sorry to sleep a little this morning. 
I have only three words to say, and those more of consequence to you, Sir Condy, than me. You are a little cool, I observe, but I hope you will not be offended at what I have brought here in my pocket. And he pulls out two long rolls, and showers down golden guineas upon the bed. What's this? says Sir Condy. It's long since... But his pride stops him. All these are your lawful property this minute, Sir Condy, if you please, said Jason. Not for nothing, I'm sure, said Sir Condy, and laughs a little. Nothing for nothing, or I'm under a mistake with you, Jason. Oh, Sir Condy, we'll not be indulging ourselves in any unpleasant retrospect, says Jason. It's my present intention to behave, as I'm sure you will, like a gentleman in this affair. Here's two hundred guineas, and a third, I mean to add, if you should think proper to make over to me all your right and title to those lands that you know of. I'll consider it, said my master. And a great deal more that I was tired listening to was said by Jason, and all that, and the sight of the ready cash upon the bed, worked with his honour. And the short and the long of it was, Sir Condy gathered up the golden guineas, and tied them up in a handkerchief, and signed some paper Jason brought with him as usual. And there was an end of the business. Jason took himself away, and my master turned himself round and fell asleep again. I soon found what had put Jason in such a hurry to conclude this business. The little gossoon we had set off the day before with my master's compliments to Mount Juliet's town, and to know how my lady did after her accident, was stopped early this morning, coming back with his answer through O'Shocklin's town at Castle Rackrent by my son Jason, and questioned of all he knew of my lady from the servant at Mount Juliet's town. And the gossoon told him my lady Rackrent was not expected to live overnight. So Jason thought it high time to be moving to the lodge, to make his bargain with my master about the jointure, afore it should be too late, and afore the little gossoon could reach us with the news. My master was greatly vexed, that is, I may say, as much as ever I seen him when he found how he had been taken in. But it was some comfort to have the ready cash for immediate consumption in the house, anyway. And when Judy came up that evening, and brought the childer to see his honour, he unties the handkerchief, and, God bless him, whether it was little or much he had, t'was all the same with him. He gives them all round guineas apiece. Hold up your head, says my sister to Judy as Sir Condy was busy filling out a glass of punch for her eldest boy. Hold up your head, Judy, for who knows but we may live to see you yet at the head of the Castle Rackrent estate. Maybe so, says she, but not the way you are thinking of. I did not rightly understand which way Judy was looking when she made this little speech till a while after. Why, Thady, you were telling me yesterday that Sir Condy had sold all entirely to Jason, and where then does all them guineas in the handkerchief come from? They are the purchase money 
of my lady's jointure says i judy looks a little puzzled at this a penny for your thoughts judy says my sister hark sure sir condy is drinking her health he was at the table in the room drinking with the exciseman and the gouger who came to see his honour and were standing over the fire in the kitchen footnote the room the principal room in the house End of footnote. i don't much care he is drinking my health or not says judy and it is not sir condy i'm thinking of with all your jokes whatever he is of me sure you wouldn't refuse to be my lady rackrent judy if you had the offer says i but if i could do better says she how better says i and my sister both at once how better says she why what signifies it to be my lady rackrent and no castle sure what good is the car and no horse to draw it and where will ye get the horse judy says i never mind that says she maybe it's your own son jason might find that jason says i don't be trusting to him judy sir condy as i have good reason to know spoke well of you when jason spoke very indifferently of you judy no matter says judy it's often men speak the contrary just to what they think of us and you the same way of them no doubt answered i nay don't be denying it judy for i think the better of ye for it and shouldn't be proud to call ye the daughter of a shister's son of mine if i was to hear ye talk ungrateful and any way disrespectful of his honour what disrespect says she to say i'd rather if it was my luck be the wife of another man you'll have no luck mind my words judy says i and all i remembered about my poor master's goodness in tossing up for her afore he married at all came across me and i had a choking in my throat that hindered me to say more better luck anyhow thady says she than to be like some folk following the fortunes of them that have none left oh king of glory says i hear the pride and ungratitude of her and he giving his last guinea but a minute ago to her childer and she with the fine shawl on her he made her a present of but yesterday oh troth judy you're wrong now says my sister looking at the shawl and was not he wrong yesterday then says she to be telling me i was greatly altered to affront me but judy says i what is it brings you here then at all in the mind you were in is it to make jason think the better of you i'll tell you no more of my secrets thady says she nor would have told you this much had i taken you for such an unnatural father as i find you are not to wish your own son preferred to another oh troth you are wrong now thady says my sister well i was never so put to it in my life between these women's and my son and my master and all i felt and thought just now i could not upon my conscience tell which was the wrong from the right so i said not a word more but was only glad his honour had not the luck to hear all judy had been saying of him 
for I reckoned it would have gone nigh to break his heart. Not that I was of opinion he cared for her as much as she and my sister fancied, but the ungratitude of the whole from Judy might not please him, and he could never stand the notion of not being well spoken of or beloved like behind his back. Fortunately for all parties concerned, he was so much elevated at this time, there was no danger of his understanding anything, even if it had reached his ears. There was a great horn at the lodge, ever since my master and Captain Moneygall was in together, that used to belong originally to the celebrated Sir Patrick, his ancestor and his honour was fond often of telling the story that he learned from me when a child how sir patrick drank the full of this horn without stopping and this was what no other man afore or since could without drawing breath now sir condy challenged the gouger who seemed to think little of the horn to swallow the contents and had it filled to the brim with punch and the gouger said it was what he could not do for nothing but he'd hold sir condy a hundred guineas he'd do it done says my master i'll lay you a hundred golden guineas to a tester you don't footnote tester sixpence from the french word tete a head a piece of silver stamped with a head which in old french was called un testion and which was about the value of an old english sixpence tester is used in shakespeare End of footnote. done says the gouger and done and done's enough between two gentlemen the gouger was cast and my master won the bet and thought he'd won a hundred guineas but by the wording it was adjudged to be only a tester that was his due by the exciseman it was all one to him he was as well pleased and i was glad to see him in such spirits again the gouger bad luck to him was the man that next proposed to my master to try himself could he take at a draught the contents of the great horn sir patrick's horn said his honour hand it to me i'll hold you your own bet over again i'll swallow it done says the gouger I'll lay you anything at all, you do no such thing. A hundred guineas to sixpence I do, says he. Bring me the handkerchief. I was loath knowing he meant the handkerchief with the gold in it to bring it out in such company, and his honour not very able to reckon it. Bring me the handkerchief then, Thady, says he, and stamps with his foot. So with that I pulls it out of my greatcoat pocket, where I had put it for safety. Oh, how it grieved me to see the guineas counting upon the table, and they the last my master had. Says Sir Condy to me, Your hand is steadier than mine to-night, old Thady, and that's a wonder. Fill you the horn for me. And so, wishing his honour success, I did. But I filled it, little thinking of what would befall him. He swallows it down, and drops like one shot. We lift him up, and he was speechless, and quite black in the face. We put him to bed, and in a short time he wakened, raving with a fever on his brain. He was shocking, either to see or hear. Judy, 
Judy, have you no touch of feeling? Won't you stay to help us nurse him? says I to her, and she putting on her shawl to go out of the house. I'm frightened to see him, says she, and wouldn't nor couldn't stay in it. And what use? He can't last till the morning. With that she ran off. There was none but my sister and myself left near him of all the many friends he had. The fever came and went, and came and went, and lasted five days, and the sixth he was sensible for a few minutes and said to me, knowing me very well, I'm in a burning pain all within side of me, Thady. I could not speak, but my sister asked him would he have this thing or t'other to do him good. No, says he, nothing will do me good no more. And he gave a terrible screech with the torture he was in, then again a minute's ease. Brought to this by drink, says he, where are all the friends? Where's Judy? Gone, hey? Aye, Sir Condy has been a fool all his days, said he. And there was the last word he spoke, and died. He had but a very poor funeral after all. If you want to know any more, I'm not very well able to tell you. But my Lady Rackrent did not die as was expected of her, but was only disfigured in the face ever after by the fall and bruises she got. And she and Jason, immediately after my poor master's death, set about going to law about that jointure, and the memorandum not being on stamped paper, some say it's worth nothing, others again it may do. Others say Jason won't have the lands at any rate. Many wishes it so. For my part, I'm tired wishing for anything in this world, after all I've seen in it. But I'll say nothing. It would be a folly to be getting myself ill-will in my old age. Jason did not marry, nor think of marrying Judy, as I prophesied, and I am not sorry for it. Who is? As for all I have here set down from my memory and hearsay of the family, there's nothing but truth in it from beginning to end. That you may depend upon. For where's the use of telling lies about the things which everybody knows as well as I do? The editor could have readily made the catastrophe of Sir Condy's history more dramatic and more pathetic, if he thought it allowable to varnish the plain round tale of faithful Thady. He lays it before the English reader as a specimen of manners and characters which are perhaps unknown in England. Indeed, the domestic habits of no nation in Europe were less known to the English than those of their sister country till within these few years. Mr. Young's picture of Ireland, in his tour through the country, was the first faithful portrait of its inhabitants. All the features in the foregoing sketch were taken from the life, and they are characteristic of that mixture of quickness, simplicity, cunning, carelessness, dissipation, disinterestedness, shrewdness, and blunder, which, in different forms and with various success, has been brought upon the stage or delineated in novels. It is a problem of difficult solution to determine whether a union will hasten or retard the amelioration of this country. 
the few gentlemen of education who now reside in this country will resort to england they are few but they are in nothing inferior to men of the same rank in great britain the best that can happen will be the introduction of british manufacturers in their places did the warwickshire militia who were chiefly artisans teach the irish to drink beer or did they learn from the irish to drink whisky End of chapter two